funny, in my life as a pastor, in my head there's always this phrase, and and it's not a spiritual thing, it's just a personal thing, don't be weird. I I try so hard not to be weird, and then then I do something weird, you know. So um, I, I just had this jolt from the Lord. You ever been jolted by the Lord before? I was, where's Ryan? They were doing, uh, you're worthy of it all. And um, it, was, it was neat that you shared that vision, by the way, because the Lord gave me a vision as well. And I saw thousands of people worshiping the Lord. But this was in the future. This wasn't now. This was later. But then I saw our small group, and I saw the accuser, the Satan, mockingly laughing at us as if he had somehow defeated us. And I saw Lifespring just rise up in worship, in our prayer language, whether it's English words or heavenly words, but from the depths of who we are, rising up in worship. And I saw Satan defeated. And I saw revival. And I saw thousands upon thousands of people in our town who are right now wondering what life is all about, living without hope, living without purpose, living without meaning, raising their hands, joining us in the chorus of you are worthy of it all. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So I'd encourage you to continue to praise the Lord in that way, to continue to Use the weapons that the Lord has given you. If you read Ephesians 6, if you can turn me down just a little bit, but if you read Ephesians 6, at the end of that, he says, pray in the Spirit in all times. And I just pray that we are all exercising the weapons the Lord has given us. All right, so let's go into Luke. We are finishing chapter 14 here. We're going to be in verses 25 through 35. It's a real kind of easy passage, real Mickey Mouse, Disneyland kind of thing. So I'm sure we'll just read it. Um, grab um, a couple of tidbits that will make us feel better about ourselves and move on with it. No, not at all. It's a very challenging passage, so let's get into it. Verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Turning to, him, turning to them, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it, they'll ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good. This will speak to us in this year. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear... Let them hear. 
Maybe you've heard this before, that salvation is absolutely free, but it will cost you everything. You've heard that before? You receive it freely, right, at no expense to you, but once you receive it, you've just committed everything you are, your very life, to Jesus Christ. It's a free offer, but when we accept it, we're no longer our own. We've been bought with a price. As Christians, we surrender everything to Jesus. Jesus himself declares in this passage, those of us who do not give up everything we have cannot be his disciples. To truly follow Christ, we must consider the cost. Counting the cost, by the way, it keeps you from falling into the trap that so many Americans fall into, which I would call surface-level Christianity, right? Surface-level Christianity where you dabble in the faith you compartmentalize your faith without growing those deeper roots and so we quickly flee and scatter when things get hard but we must count the cost right now during covid each one of us is getting a personal opportunity to do that aren't we 2020 uh following jesus hasn't been the easiest thing there's been some very real Challenges, and yet it has given us as human beings this sacred opportunity to really consider where is my allegiance? Where is my faith? Who do I serve? And who do I trust? I was thinking about all this just this past week with things being stripped away, with the things that we thought were steady now being shaken. Can Life Spring still confidently say that Jesus plus nothing equals everything? That Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Maybe it was a little easier to make that declaration, and I don't know, pick a year, 2018, 2019. But in this moment, where is your faith? Who is it in? And do we still believe that Jesus is enough? I just see it. We're in this pivotal moment where each of us has this, again, divine, God-given opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to say Yes, I believe Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Yes, I believe that if I have Jesus, I have everything I need. Yes, as a disciple of Christ, I am willing to give up everything, even life itself, to be his disciple and to live with him forever. If you are a true disciple in the house today, would you just say yes with me? Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Such a pivotal moment, really, for Christians all over our state, all over our country, all over this world, to reaffirm and to recommit our faith to Christ. To reaffirm, recommit our faith to Christ. And by the way, you might want to write this down, that you reaffirm, recommit your faith to Christ in the midst of the storm, not after the storm. One of those songs that you sang was so good about in the midst of the storm. Recommit in the midst of the The storm, not after the storm, not after the waters are calm, not after the sun is shining and the birds are singing, but in the middle of the storm, when it feels like chaos, when you're struggling to breathe, you have this opportunity, a sacred opportunity, a holy opportunity to tell the world, to shout out to the world, my eggs are still in one basket, my life fully surrendered 
fully yielded to Jesus and Jesus alone. We have one master, and you know his name? His name is Jesus. We will not live by fear. We will not let fear be our master. We serve Christ and Christ alone, and we have counted the cost, and we have found him worthy of us giving everything we have to him. The radical life of surrender and faith, a radical life of counting the cost, throwing everything we have at the feet of Jesus, so often in worship lately, I've just been kind of doing this. And when I'm doing I'm just, I'm just throwing it at Jesus, right? Everything, just here it is. The mess that I am, all that I am, just the whole complexity that is Daniel Allen Burst. I just throw it at your feet, Lord Jesus. I honestly believe that that radical surrender, that radical yielding, that throwing everything we have at his feet, it's the only way, the only way. To live the true, abundant, joy-filled life that Christ wants us to live. I said this so many times in church, but if you want to see a miserable Christian, then you need to find someone, and they're not hard to find, but find someone who said yes to Jesus, and yet they're not going where he's going. You ever met that person before? They've said yes to Jesus, and yet they have not counted the cost, and they're not actually following Jesus. They said yes to the concept of Jesus. They like some of the ideas and principles and concepts of Jesus, but they're not so sure about giving up the things of this world. In fact, you'll even see it as a pastor. You'll see it. They have almost a death grip tie around the things of the world. And that will never work. That will never Work. You will be exhausted trying to live for Jesus and live for the world at the same time. You will be exhausted trying to worship and follow the all-sufficient Savior while at the same time trying to find your satisfaction and get your needs met through the circumstances of life. As a pastor, I see this played out in so many lives, so many followers of Jesus. Some of you right now, you're hurting. Maybe you're miserable but you've convinced yourself that you just need circumstances to change. I love what you said, Ryan. Because we don't need circumstances to change. What we need and what you need is true, radical revival in your life. You need a fresh deluge of the life-giving Spirit of God in your life. You need a wave of His Spirit to consume you, to overwhelm you, to remind you that in all circumstances He's worthy of praise. Because obviously your brain isn't there, right? Rationally, intellectually, you're stuck. You're not able to get there. So if your brain's stuck, let your spirit rise up. Let the Spirit of God deluge you to say, I am worthy of it all. I'm worthy right now in the midst of your circumstances. I'm worthy right now. In all situations, the Lord says He is worthy of your affection. In every day, in every way, He is worthy of you. He is worthy of you radically intentionally, purposefully, with meaning. Give your life to Him. Giving your life to Him. Stop waiting for tomorrow. If you want to live, it is the only way. I truly believe this. If you want to live the abundant, joy-filled, overflowing life that the Lord has for you, you must radically give Him your life. We are fools when we put one foot in the world and one foot in His kingdom. We are miserable fools. Such a pivotal moment for his church. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. By the way, your friends aren't going to understand it. They're going to think you're weird. (laughs) 
Your family probably won't understand it. God will. God will. God sees your heart. By the way, he sees your heart right now, good, bad, or ugly. He sees your heart. He knows the intentions of your heart. He knows where your heart is divided. But he also knows where your heart is fully devoted to him. God loves a heart that is fully devoted to him. Even with all of King David's mistakes and flaws, God loved David because David was a man after God's own heart. Are you fully committed, church? Are you fully surrendered, church? I'm not saying you have to be perfect, right? I'm not saying you aren't going to have struggles. You're going to have bad days. You're going to have really bad days. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be doubt. There's going to be fear. There's going to be anxiety. But the question is, but even in the midst of all of that, even in the midst of uncertain circumstances, are you all in for Christ? Are you all in? And by the way, I was thinking about this. What does it even mean to be all in for Christ? What does it even mean to follow Jesus? What does it even mean these days to be a Christian? American Christianity, it is so interesting to me because we have a lot of people in our country. They say they believe in God. They're even standing for their belief in God. But I'm so confused by the way their faith is being expressed. I'm just confused. I'm, I'm wondering if they even know what it means. Often, sometimes, when I'm talking to people, it sounds something like this. Well, yeah, I believe in God, and I try to do a lot of good things. That's a very common thing in America. As a pastor, I, I remember golfing with a guy, and he didn't know I was a pastor, and I made the mis- you know, eventually it came out. What do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. And he starts telling me about all these random good things he does. Like, what is that even about? Because somehow we've convinced ourselves when I die and I go to those gates and it's always the pearly white gates and there's always a guy named Peter standing there. That's, again, the American Christianity. There's the pearly white gates and there's Peter. And I'll say, I just hope that he'll see that I've done more good than I have bad and he'll let me in to heaven. That somehow Christianity is just about being a good person. Well, I want you to be a good person. That sounds great. (laughs) I'd rather have you be a good person than a bad person. But come on, Christianity is not about you being a good person. It's not about how like once you were bad and you used to steal candy from the store, but now you're good and you help uh, really, uh, you help people across the street. No, it is way more intense than that, church. We, we just sang about it. We, we read about it. The idea of being a Christian is that you once were dead. D-E-A-D, dead, but now in Christ, you're alive. It's not about once you were bad and once now you're good. You were dead, and now you're alive. You were dead in your sins. You, you would face, and no one likes to talk about this, but we, we serve a holy and just God. You would face the judgment, the, the due judgment the deserved judgment for your sins. But now because of Jesus, because of the price that he paid on that cross, you are no longer dead, but you are alive. Where sin brought your death, Christ brought your life. That's what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 tells us, that even though we were dead before because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Christ's resurrection, right? It's the first fruits of this new life with him. It's the Roadmap, his resurrection, the roadmap for what resurrection uh, life is going to look like for any of us who believe 
in him. And now from that place of resurrected life, true abundant life, full of the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit, now we as his disciples, and this is so important, we now give him everything. We give him everything because we owe him everything. Again, what? We once were what? Dead. But now we are what? Alive. And so we give him everything because we owe him everything. In fact, Paul talks about this. He says we have a new master, right? That's what Paul says. He says you once were a slave to sin, but now you're a slave to righteousness. And if you're watching this, wherever you're watching this from, and I know that we have people all over the world that watch our, tune into our services. If you're watching this, and if you call yourself a Christian, please stop playing the game. Stop playing the This is not a game. Jesus saved you from the penalty of sin, which is death, which is eternal separation from God. And he has given you instead eternal life resurrected life in its kingdom forever. We as new creations in Christ, as new born again creation in Christ, we are to be wholly committed to serving Christ. Wholly committed to following Christ. To do whatever he asks us to do. Wholly submitted. Stop playing the game. I just keep on hearing that over and over in my head that some of you are still playing the game. Stop it! To obey the Lord, to follow his command, to love God, to love others. All because of what Jesus has done for you. You're not going to pull a fast one on God. You're not going to trick your way into heaven. No, you surrender and you give your life to him for what he has done for you. You freely give what you have received. It reminds me, if you keep reading Ephesians 2, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved, praise the Lord, through faith. And this isn't from yourselves, right? It's nothing that you did. It's a gift. A free gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Praise the Lord. But it keeps going. Verse 10, for we are God's handiwork. You are God's handiwork. You are created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God saves you. By his grace, he freely saves you through your faith in the work that Jesus has done on the cross. But then now, this is so important, and man, we need a radical just transformation in this area. But now, as a saved human, one who has been saved from judgment, saved from wrath, saved from the penalty of sin, as a rescued and restored image of God, you are now created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So you don't just get saved and then kind of coast into the sunset, right? Just waiting to take the highway into the sky. No. You get saved, born again, new creation. But what happens? You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're given specific and supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. And you roll up your sleeves because you are now equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the good things that God created in advance for you to do. Do you believe that, church? Because some people don't like that, by the way. There's a lot of Christians who don't like that. They write whole books on how you don't have to live like that. They like the saved part. They're not so sure about the good works part. They like the idea of getting to go to the good place and avoiding the bad place. But they don't like the idea 
of now doing the good works that God has called you to do. Because, listen, when you're doing the good works that God has called you to do, which God has prepared in advance for you to do, it means that you're going to have to surrender the plans and good works that you wanted to do. Again, people don't like this at all. I have noticed that his good works have a way of messing with my plans. Anybody else notice that? His plans, they're often inconvenient. They're often uncomfortable. I was thinking about when you're serving at the church, when has serving at the church ever just been convenient? Well, I'm just so bored, I might as well do something. No, it's always inconvenient. When people tell me, like, well, I'm just too busy. Everybody's busy. It's always going to be inconvenient. It's always going to be uncomfortable. But Jesus will always mess with the plans of your life. Get used to it. Or be miserable and say yes to Jesus, but never go where he's asking you to go. Some of the greatest heroes of the faith have been people like my parents, Cliff and Jackie Birch. Have been people like Scott Harden's parents, Steve and Sonia Harden who I'm sure they had some plans for what they would do after they retired from their jobs. And yet because they have surrendered their lives to Jesus, their retirement years have been some of the most productive and fruitful years of their lives for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Praise the Lord for people like my parents and like the Hardens. Praise the Lord for retired people who have used their retirement years as a season of bearing good fruit and doing good works that God has called them to do. And if you aren't ready to do the good works that God has called you to do, I'm not sure you are truly counting the cost of what it means to follow Jesus and to be his disciple. Because again, it's a free gift of grace, but it will cost you everything. You must be willing to leave all of it. Your hopes, your dreams, Your plans, leave it all behind for the Lord. If you don't believe that, then we have to take out a bunch of the New Testament. Because the New Testament gives you story after story after story of people who didn't leave it all behind or people who did. If you don't believe that, then don't read the Bible. It will mess with you. And don't think it's not going to cause division, right? I mean, right at the beginning, verse 26, pretty bold. I don't even know if I like him saying this. (laughs) Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, I think we understand and we know that as you read all the other things Jesus says in the Bible, as you take the full counsel of scripture jesus isn't asking you to commit hateful acts towards your family not at all but he is letting you know that your devotion to jesus might cause some waves in your family anyone ever cause some waves in the family over your faith in jesus some family members didn't like it did they in fact they started getting angry at you just like whoa where'd that even come from just because you said the name of who jesus I want to encourage you. Some of you are going to lose friends over this. Anyone ever lose a friend over your faith in Jesus? Any family members ever accuse you of joining a cult? That happens. I get some phone calls from your family members. 
What are you teaching them, Pastor Dan? <laughs> There's a cost. And I'm not making that up. I do get those calls. There's a cost to discipleship. Ryan and I, we were hanging out Tuesday morning over at Elements down in Puyallup, and I'd encourage everybody to go down to Elements, support your small business uh, if you can. Let's keep those small businesses open. But Ryan made a point, which I think is a very good point in regards to the cost of discipleship. He said, man, when I read the Bible, it doesn't always turn out so great for the main characters of the Bible. Kind of a good point, isn't it? Those who follow God, they, they have it hard in many ways, hard lives. Most of the disciples, they died pretty terrible deaths. John gets exiled to an island. Paul, he gets killed. But even before Paul gets killed, it's pretty brutal, right? He gets tortured. He gets imprisoned. Peter, they say Peter. Remember Peter? They, they say that he was executed, hung upside down. He felt unworthy to die in a, the same manner as his rabbi and friend Jesus They counted the cost, and they decided that Jesus was worth it. He was worthy of it all. The early church, full of martyrdom, in many ways, in other parts of the world, that continues to this day. You don't have to search very hard on the Internet to see just horrible, horrific stories of men and women being persecuted for their faith. But what I love about Jesus, and I really do love this about Jesus, is Jesus is always honest with us. That's what you see in this passage. Read it again. He's honest, right? He, he's being very clear about what we're signing up for when we say yes to him. So there's no bait and switch. He's not pulling a fast one on us. And, by the way, there's no false advertising. Now, I actually think churches, especially the American church, is guilty of a lot of false advertising, including ours. And, it, and it's always very subtle. It's hardly ever overt. But if you listen to enough sermons online about Christianity, churches present a Christianity that almost sounds the complete opposite of what Jesus says in this passage. Right? Instead of having to give something up, instead as you attend church, well, first of all, Jesus is going to make you really happy. And second of all, you're going to get everything you want. So Jesus, he'll give you the spouse, he'll give you the house, he'll give you the car. You come to Jesus, you're going to get it all. You're going to get health, wealth, and everything in between. And what's kind of hard about the American gospel is that there is a tinge of truth in every part that is being said. Because guess what? There are actually great benefits to following Jesus. I have been healed in the name of Jesus. I have found provision in the name of Jesus. I have found abundance. I have found prosperity. I have found life in Jesus. But like Pastor Joe said last week, in many ways, life is also harder with Jesus. (laughs) You're going to lose some friends. It's going to cause some friction with family. Following Jesus is going to mess up your daily routine. It's going to mess up your comfort, mess up your convenience, maybe even mess with your retirement. Being a disciple of Jesus, it messes with your life. It causes you to think through and and care about really complicated issues. Have you noticed that? Issues like how to take care of the poor in your community. How to care for the homeless in your community. How to look after widows. Care for the fatherless. How to address real issues like racial inequality and injustice. 
how to work through and think through issues such as prison reform, fairness in housing, access to quality education. See, once you say yes to Jesus, you can't ignore those issues, right? You can't turn a blind eye because all of a sudden, actually, your eyes are wide open. And so now, with eyes wide open, you're thrown into this world that is actually hurting and broken in many ways that you single-handedly will never be able to fix. And yet you cannot turn a blind eye to it anymore. I describe it this way. As a disciple, which most of you, probably all of you in this room, you would call yourself a disciple of Jesus. As a disciple, you will find yourself more than once in front of 5,000 people with only five loaves and two fish. And you're going to wonder, what am I going to do? It's too big. I can't solve this. I can't fix this. But you will learn in your life. You will learn in your life to live fully devoted to Christ, fully dependent upon Christ, fully desperate for His move, the move of His miraculous power. And in each one of those areas, you will see Jesus do good works in you, but also through you as you fully surrender your life to Him. I believe that. If I didn't believe that, then what am I doing? I'm wasting my life. So where are you at with all this? Where are you at with all this? Again, I think this season has exposed our faith in many beautiful ways. Praise the Lord. When so many things have been taken away, it's amazing to see what remains. I love my brother Doug. He just says, we'll see what remains. We'll see what remains. Is there a true faith in Christ? That leads to good works that is remaining in your life. I want you to think about that. By the way, when I talk about faith, I'm not talking about your church attendance record. I'm not talking about how often you read the Bible or the amount of your tithe. Now, sure, those things could be indicators of your faith, but don't confuse those things with being the same as faith. You understand what I'm talking about? Because you can do all those things. You can go to church. You can tithe. You can read your Bible without faith. You know what we call those? Those are empty works. God isn't looking for those things. He's looking for your faith. A faith that is surrendering. A faith that is willing to surrender your wants, your desires, your hopes, your dreams. Radically throwing your life at the feet of Jesus. Even as I say this, maybe this needs to be your prayer this morning. That my life is no longer my own. I have been bought with a price. The life I now live, I live for the glory of God and for the advancement of his kingdom. I am an ambassador of Christ. I am a witness of the resurrection power. I am a true disciple who has counted the cost. So life spring, as someone who loves you and believes that Jesus loves you, I hope you would allow this to challenge you just a little bit today. That faith and discipleship, following Jesus, It's not just about having the good intentions of being a disciple. Jesus encounters, by the way, many people who had good intentions. The rich young ruler had good intentions. Good intentions, by the way, aren't going to get you into heaven. Good intentions will not get you into the kingdom of God. It's faith. Faith. An active, surrendered, yielded faith. Faith. I want to invite Ryan back up in just a moment. He's going to play a song, but I, I want to take this time, and I, I, I hope that you would take this time as well to 
truly look into my life, to look into your life, take inventory of what your faith looks like. Right now, not what it was in 1987, not what it was in 2007, not what it was even in January or February. But where is your faith, Life Spring Church, in August 2020? And, and, and even here's some questions I want you to think about. Is there a course correction that needs to take place? By God's grace and by His love, by His mercy that's in this room, is there a course correction that needs to take place? Is there repentance that needs to take place? Again, it says His kindness leads us to repentance. Is there an area where you need to turn? Are there things you need to let go of? Do you have a death grip around some of the things of this world? Is there anything that you need to let go of? Again, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Is there an active, alive faith living inside of you? Now, someone that's alive in faith, I believe that that faith compels you to read your Bible. It compels you to attend church and attend classes. It's a faith that does compel you to give, to abundantly give, to to give and to serve and to sacrifice. But how about you? Just where's your faith? Remember, Jesus' ministry was quite popular. He had lots of people. Right at the beginning, he says a lot of people were following him. Great following, large crowds. Why not? He's giving them free food. and might as well follow the guy. They love the miracles, love the healing. But Jesus, he's so good. He knew their hearts. He knew they desired the benefits of what he did rather than understanding who he was. Right? They loved the gifts, not so much the life that he was calling them to. But what about you? Do you love the Lord? Do you love Jesus? Are you willing to say yes to the life that he's calling you to? Even if it gets harder. Even if it gets harder, church. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was killed by the Nazis, he says, When Christ calls a man, Christ bids him come and die. My wife, we we talk a lot about all this stuff. She was telling me the other day, she feels like this is a season in many ways of sifting, that God is removing the chaff from the wheat. Or as I heard someone say the other day, they were concerned. They said, you know, Dan, a lot of Christians are falling away from the faith. And I said, good. (laughs) Let me explain. I said, I think a lot of people need to lose their religion and find a relationship with Jesus. And I mean that, church. I think a lot of people, including there's parts of my life, there are parts of my life, I just got to lose the religion and find a relationship, a true relationship with the lover of my soul. Because again, we're talking about our eternal destiny. It's not just an opportunity to have a spouse. It's not just an opportunity to have a house. It's not just an opportunity to find healing so I can live an extra five or six years. No, it's an opportunity to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. To be a part of his restored creation in a new heaven and a new earth. Come on, aren't you excited? The joy of knowing I'm going to be a part of the new heaven and the new earth. So even now, some of you watching me, you're you're, you're feeling like you're lost. You feel like hope is gone, like darkness is winning. But you have, in this moment, as I'm speaking, you have a life-changing decision to make. Because even now, as it feels like chaos... 
even now as your bones are hurting and you're filled with pain and you're struggling to breathe, Jesus is calling you. He's not waiting for the storm to be over, but in the midst of the storm, he is calling you. And he's calling you by name. He knows you. He's calling you into a new, abundant, joy-filled life with him where you do not have to do it on your own, but he is with you and in you. You are empowered and equipped by the power of the Holy Spirit where neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor the powers, neither the height nor depth nor anything else in creation will ever, ever, ever be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He is calling you in the midst of the storm to a radical, new, abundant life with Him. Whether you've been a Christian for a thousand days or whether you've never said yes to Jesus, I believe in this moment He is letting you know that He came for you. He came for you regardless of the labels you've put on your He says, I want to give you a new label, which is the son and daughter of the Most High. A new label that says you're forgiven and free, redeemed and restored in Jesus Christ. He came for you. He came that you might be restored in the right relationship with your maker. Jesus came to invite you into God's amazing story that started back in the the very beginning of page one when he created the heavens and earth. And it ends with the culmination of him coming back and creating and establishing the new heaven and the new earth. See, God loves you so much that he invites you into that redemption story. And so regardless of you, how you came into this room, even regardless of what you were watching or looking on the internet before you came to this sermon, right now he invites you, he is calling you into his great redemption story. Would you be brave enough today to answer the call? Receive forgiveness. Receive abundant life. Count the cost. And follow hard after the Lord with joy, with passion, with excitement, with a song in your heart, in his power, would you do the good works that he has called you to do? Some of you Christians, I love what you said, Mary. Some of us, we just got to break free. You have been trapped too long by the devil. You have allowed the devil to have way too much power in your life. Be set free today to do the good things that God has called you to do. I close with this. Luke chapter 9. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Church, we're going to close with a song that I think encapsulates very well everything that's been said today. And I pray that for many of us it will be more than a song. But it will be a prayer, a prayer to the Lord. And for how you want to sing this prayer and how you want to move through this prayer, I'll leave it up to you. The nice thing about social distancing is that we have some room. So maybe it's just kneeling before the Lord. Because you know your pride is getting in the way, your, your anger is getting in the way, and you need to yield and surrender your hurting heart to the Lord and find healing that God wants to give you once again grace that you'd be a person of grace that your words would be seasoned with grace he wants to do that in your life today 
Others of you, maybe it's coming up front. And again, if we can socially distance and do it properly, but there's a lot of room up front. Or maybe it's you standing. I I don't know. Or maybe it's you going in the back corner of the room. But just to spend time with the Lord where you would once again evaluate and allow the Lord to illuminate what's going on on the inside, but that you would reaffirm and recommit your faith to Him again. And that you would surrender. Surrender to the Lord. So let's sing this together. I'm giving you my heart and all that is within. Lay it open for the sake of you, my King. I'm giving you my dream. I'm laying down my life. Giving up my pride for the promise of you. Let's sing that again. Giving you my heart and all that is within. I lay it all down for the sake of you, my King. I'm giving you my dream. I'm laying down my right. I'm giving up my pride. Amen. For the promise of new life. And I surrender all to you. All to you. I count it all as lost for the sake of knowing you and the glory of your name. To know the lasting joy, even sharing in your pain. Church, as we're singing these words to the Lord, this is for all of us. I, I, I just continue to see it with clarity that this is for the young person who's trying to make those decisions that you feel like are going to completely and radically affect the rest of your life. But the Lord says, trust me. Trust me with those decisions. Trust me that I'm good. Trust me that I'm for you and not against you. And as you radically surrender your plan, the Lord is faithful to lead you. But as much as it's for the young person, I also just I've been hearing it all week that this is for the retired person who you're still grabbing after this world. And yet the Lord says, let it go. Let it go. You know know the things of this world have not satisfied. You're doing some of the best, greatest, funnest things that you could ever do. And yet there's still a part of you that is so empty and so scared 
And the Lord says, come back to me, child, and do the good things that I've called you to do. I have plans, purposes, intentionality, and meaning for your life. Do not coast into the sunset, but roll up your sleeves and be a part of the advancement of my kingdom. Thank you, Lord. You're calling your kids back again to an abundant, joy-filled, overflowing life with you, Jesus. And I surrender Oh, to you Oh, to you Oh, it's the holy moment And I surrender Oh, to you Oh, to you with our hands open, we, we just ask you to speak. Speak, Lord. Lead us. Guide us. That we would not leave here going down our own path, but we would leave here following the path that you have for us. Lord, those disciples gave up everything to follow you. Paul, he, he gave up everything to follow you. People right now in China, in Iran, and all over this world are giving up everything to follow you. And we, in, in this unincorporated King County part of Federal Way, we are saying, God, in this corner of the world, we're giving up everything right now, committing to following you. Not after the storm is over, but in the midst of the storm, we commit to following you. Young and old, following you. Pastors, teachers, engineers, people of all ages, male, female, committing to follow you, Jesus. 